I'm here with Klaus Vihey and Eric McDaniel, co-founders of 10X Innovation and authors of the new book, Global Class. Thanks for joining me today, guys. Thanks for having Thank you us. Thank you so much, Brian. We're, we're excited to be here. Awesome. You know, in your work, you've had the opportunity to teach and learn from companies expanding into the U.S. and also out of the U.S. How do they compare? You know, your new podcast is titled Global Class. Can you explain what that phrase means to you and is it related? Sure. So the, the notion of global class has come from uh, over 160 interviews we've done with executives who have led expansion for some of the fastest growing and, and largest companies in the world. And ultimately, we found that one, a lot of them were reinventing the wheel as they went about building these businesses in, in new countries, uh, but they also had a very common mindset for those that were successful. And we labeled that as the global class uh, mindset and the set of, set of processes they, they used in, in approaching their expansion. And you know, one of the things that they had done was instead of taking what we'll call the, the company way of doing things and attempting to take that model that works in their initial market and, and push it down every single locale, uh, they actually find a local way of doing things. And it, and it goes beyond just marketing and language translation. It really affects all aspects of, of their business operations and, and culture. Uh, they also are, are very effective, and, and this is very relevant as we're emerging from the pandemic, at taking advantage of decentralized teams because there's talent everywhere. And the notion of headquarters is very different. It's not necessarily always a physical place in one building for companies anymore. And, and that, that also has led to these companies having a very different role that headquarters takes, less of command and control and more of an enabler and supporter. And I guess to the point of localization, also global class companies are, are really good at balancing localization with also organizational complexity, because obviously as you localize in international markets, it adds significant complexity to the organization. So you also need to understand where you put up the guardrails as well in terms of what you want to change uh, and what you can change and cannot change within the organization. So you know, that's why we've also developed a tool called the localization premium tool uh, that sort of helps organizations really think about, you know, how you expand, where you expand, but also in what areas of your business you actually want to change and adapt uh, when it comes to, you know, expanding internet, into international markets. Awesome. That's really so interesting. To, so go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, so to the point of what you talked about in terms of like expanding into the U.S., uh, but also out of the U.S., you know, really, depending on where you're from, you kind of view international very differently. And so if you come from a smaller market, you tend to uh, go global much faster because you have very limited or very small market. But whereas in uh, you're from the U.S., you have a very, very large market. So you tend to go uh, go expand later, typically around the Series D plus Series C, etc. And so... You know, what often is the risk when you go and expand later is that you tend to sort of have a very U.S. centric business when you're from the U.S. And then it becomes even harder to adapt your business to international markets, whether it's your product, your team, your organization, you know, and also your, you know, your organizational values and culture, etc. And it becomes really, really hard because you build a very U.S. centric organization that revolves around people and, 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 and different processes as well. So. Awesome. Yeah, I guess I hadn't thought about it from that point of view, being from the U.S. that we just think, you know, it's everybody works and acts like we do. I mean, obviously, in my role, I, right. I know that it's different, but 
thinking about companies being created that way. But also, also, uh, it, 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 sorry to kind of jump in here, but it, it's also in, it, back in the day, sort of going the company way was, you know, it could be done uh, because competition wasn't as high as it is right now. But now you see emerging ecosystems, you know, popping up from across the world that are really producing great technology, great organizations, great, um, you know, great businesses that can compete at a global scale. So going back to the point uh, that Aaron made a bit earlier in terms of Uber, you know, they couldn't compete in, in Asia. They actually had to pull out and sell parts of the business to grab up, right? And it's simply because that competition is rising around the world. There are talent accessible everywhere. And, you know, when you build, when they build their business in those local markets, they have a much better understanding of the local business context and can better sort of build products that resonate with that local customer base. And so now you can't go that company way anymore because competition is rising around the world. That's a great point. Uh, you know, you've talked about some of the interviews you've done with, you know, these leaders at some of the most amazing companies in the world. And I imagined you've heard some really interesting and great stories about their successes and failures. Um, I'm interested to know what are some of the failures that, uh, that you've learned through this process that are really worth sharing and, uh, and highlighting for our audience? Maybe starting at the beginning, I, th I think that what, what often makes companies successful in their home market is the ability to take, you know, guerrilla tactics and do whatever it takes to get traction and figure out the right model that would scale. Um, but you, you have to be a little more mindful as you go to other markets. And one of the things we suggest is, is conducting what we call a localization discovery tour. And, and this is where you actually go in market and talk to uh, stakeholders of all types, government, uh, and universities, startup ecosystem, potential new hires, potential partners, attorneys, et cetera, to really get a better understanding of all aspects of, uh, of that business. And, and that can have a profound effect. We, one of the people we, we had spoke with was the former head of international at Evernote. And as he was looking at expanding into India, they, um, they were planning on targeting the upwardly mobile Indian population and were using credit card penetration as a proxy for the market opportunity, which was also their payment method. Well, it looked really good. And then when uh, his name is Troy went into market, he talked to everybody, did this type of localization discovery tour, including talking to, talking to taxi drivers. And he said, everybody had an auntie story. Everyone had an aunt or uncle who had a cousin who had a credit card, who racked up a bunch of debt and ruined their life. So everybody had a credit card. They were just too scared to use it because of the stories they heard. And so if they had launched in the market with credit cards as their payment processing, they probably would have failed. But, but then learning they needed to choose other payment methods was important. And, and this is not just a, a solitary exercise you, you just go do by yourself. It, it's important to bring in different stakeholders and people with expertise. You know, and this is, this is a great example of one of the many things that Zedra can do to help because Often you don't have those connections coming from another country and understanding, you know, how how to even set up a bank account as an example, which often is more complicated than uh, most people think it is. Yeah, that's a great point, Aaron. Um, also, in we, we did a, a survey across these uh, with with all these interviewees, and what we found is that oftentimes, or actually, the let me rephrase this. Um, that's a great point, Aaron. You know, what we also did when, when doing research for our book is that we did a survey uh, with these international expansion leaders and, and found that, you know, one of the biggest issues were people and talent. Uh, 
So the most important ingredient to successful entry revolves really around hiring the right people and building the right teams. And so while doing our research and interviewing more than 170, actually 170, Aaron, we're, we're at that number right now, international executives, we found that successful companies have people with a unique mindset. And so over the course of you know, developing the book, Aaron and I were trying to kind of figure out how can we actually sort of communicate this mindset. And we went through different iterations of it, if you will. But um, the best way that, that we basically illustrated is through a, a concept called uh, the entrepreneur. And so entrepreneur as international. And so if you can imagine a three-layered pyramid, right, um, that sort of includes what we call uh, an agile mindset, company mindset, and culture mindset, um, that sort of constitute the future global leader that any organization should hire when they go international. So for, you know, for the past 15 uh, to 20 years, people have often sought for and looked for people with an agile mindset. But over the past 10 years, approximately, when companies have gone through, you know, innovation initiatives and, you know, transforming the organization digitally, et cetera, they have sought for entrepreneurs and, and people that are able to build coalitions and bind within Know, existing organizational structures, but what really hasn't been talked about in, you know, uh, uh, talked about as much, if you will, is a culture uh, mindset and cultural curiosity and culture EQ. And, and we believe that these three mindset, if you will, is what cost, constitute the future global leader in an increasingly distributed world. Now, to take an example, uh, we've interviewed a lot of leaders, uh, you know, over the past, I believe, 10 to 12 months now, if you will. Um, you know, an, a leader like Abe Smith, who leads international from Zoom, he has to have an agile mindset because he has to build new teams in multiple markets. He has to have a, a focused effort on finding product market fit. So having that agile mindset in adapting the business to a new market, while at the same time also having the the great perseverance and the ability to influence the organization to make those adaptation and changes to be successful in, in, in international markets. So the entrepreneurial mindset, if you will, and company mindset. But at the same time, Abe Smith has to understand different cultures and understand you have to adapt that business in a new cultural context. And so these three different mindsets is gonna be absolutely critical for an organization to scale because to the point earlier, it's all about people. It's people that's going to be driving these efforts and ultimately going to have, you know, make you being successful in, in international markets. And so to kind of also explain a bit, you know, how Ape sort of became this leader is that we often found that these international executive, executives had formative experiences that impacted their view on the world. And so ApeSnit was a English teacher at a rural fishing village in uh, in, in Japan, and that sort of gave him sort of the aspiration, motivation, inspiration to build an international career that at the end and resulted in being him becoming the leader at Zoom, where Eric Young specifically looked for someone with a global mindset to come on to the international team that was going to be driving their international efforts going forward. And, and we're starting to see some of these global class companies require this in, in conversations with companies like Amazon, Shopify, others, they, they say when they're building their executive pipeline, the people who they consider have to have international experience because they see themselves as a global business. And so we're even starting to see, see this. And, and actually, there was a recent uh, survey that was conducted by um, Accenture that talked about how 
think it's more north of 70% of executives are starting to understand and see themselves not as one centralized business, but a federation of multiple businesses being operated and, and also seeing the need to decentralize decision-making. And, and that's where some of this localized mindset comes in. And to the point also going back to that interpreter mindset, right? You have to be, if you're working within distributed teams, you have to have much more resilient. You have to be agile. You have to be able to influence from afar. You also have that, you know, need to have that culture mindset because you're dealing with, you know, employees from 20 different countries. So it's also sort of the future sort of mindset of, of any employee that are working in a very distributed organization or at least global organization. Um, another thing that Aaron and I, we developed was what we call an expansion team building framework. And it constitutes of, of four different aspects. One, sort of leadership skills, but also the entrepreneurial skills that, that we talked about a, a bit earlier. But two very important things is what we call a, a company um, knowledge and local knowledge. And oftentimes we see that there's a massive gap between company knowledge and local knowledge when you expand internationally. And so to put an extreme example, uh, we often work with uh, Japanese executives. And sort of what they tend to do is that they, they bring someone uh, that has 20 years of experience in that organization and dump him down in Silicon Valley. And then he has to figure things out himself, but he doesn't have that local knowledge. So are having extreme challenges in being able to connect with that local market and understanding how he can adapt that business to, for example, Silicon Valley. Where we, where we are. And so there's then that massive gap between that you know, company knowledge and local knowledge. So typically the recommendation for a Japanese organization at the very least is that we, there, there's different ways of doing it obviously, but pair him up with a local expert, a local partner, some, somebody he can build a team with that has that understanding of that local market. Or they can find a way to bring someone in from an international market and bring them into the organization in Japan. So to learn about the business culture, the processes, the way the organization operates, and then bring him over to that international market that he is supposed to lead their expansion to. So there's different ways to, you know, I guess, to think about these things, but you really need to understand that that gap should not exist when you expand. You have to make sure that you both have that common knowledge and that local knowledge as well. And, and that actually really ties in well to an, another one of the failures that we've seen companies make in expanding, and that's not setting up the structures and processes in order to support an international organization. And so j just to the point Klaus made, if, if you don't have some of these processes set up to, to help a local employee learn the company side of things, as an example, and, and processes to have them uh, you know, come to headquarters, wherever it might be. Uh, it, you're, you're not necessarily going to get as good of results. I, I think a lot of what we found successful structures and processes center around is around feedback loops and communication. And so finding ways for important things like core values and company culture to be translated to a local market and the team there, but then also having a channel for that local team to share local market insights back with, with the headquarters structure to then be able to make decisions uh, on, on certain centralized things for, for how things can be localized for a market. And so those feedback loops are, are really important. And, and you know, as an example, uh, what, one, of the, one of the structures that, that we talk about is this concept of an expansion resource team. And that's the notion of this 
um, multifunctional team. They may or may not be dedicated, depending on how big a company is. They may have resources for this or not. But uh, their job is not to tell local markets what to do, but is really to be a conduit to headquarters for them. So let's say a local market general manager, uh, she has an issue with product that has to be localized for something. Instead of her needing to go figure out how to do that with product and engineering, if it's a software business, she goes to the expansion resource team who then can use their understanding on the company side to be able to get things done so that the the GM, she and her team can focus on traction in the market. And, and then also as you do that, uh, you, you get this understanding as you go to more and more markets of what does and doesn't work as you're implementing strategies and to a point Cloud made, Klaus made before around guardrails, helping to control a little bit of complexity. So it's it's being able to figure out, okay, this is what can be changed to localize for the market. And here's what needs to stay more uniform to allow for momentum and scale. Yeah, there's so much, uh, so many intricacies and so many complexities of the whole process, right? I mean, it's, it's not for the faint of heart. Absolutely. No. Exactly. And, and, and to that point, right, often, you know, when interviewing international executives, we, we kind of noticed that there was a bit of a myopic view in terms of looking at expansion. You know, leaders often have a bit of a bias towards their function and not looking more holistically when it comes to global expansion. So, so that's why Aaron and I, we developed a new tool and framework called the Localization Premium Tool. And so we spoke to multiple executives, but for example, we had a conversation with a, a chief revenue officer and the way that he looked at, at expansion or at least, you know, looked at different criteria for expansion was around, okay, standard deviation around the product, as he said, but then also changes in, his, in the sales model. But there's so much other things to consider. There's the, you know, admin side of things that, you know, you guys are doing extremely well. Um, there's also, you know, marketing, you know, what we call marketing premium in this, in this chart, as well as also organizational, you know, um, sort of complexity, if you will, when you expand, do you need to hire a new team? Do you need to dedicate resources from the headquarters and focus on that organizational culture, et cetera? And there's also what we call infrastructure premium, which for digital product is, is, um, uh, is for example, data location, right? Um, uh, citizen data it has to be kept within Germany, for example. So I have to build up a new tech stack, et cetera, off a physical product, you know, supply chain, et cetera, right? So, so there's just a whole host of things you need to consider as an organization. And so you need to have much more of a holistic conversation in order to mitigate for the risk that are associated with an international expansion. And so we, we developed this tool that uh, that we believe was going to be is going to help organizations be much more structured in their approach to select markets prioritize markets but also in general communicate the changes that you need to make in terms of your business model when you enter into new markets and so you know you need to bring the organization together and not just have one person leading that expansion I believe we talked to somebody for from who was that Aaron? There was somebody that were in, I believe, in the UK, and he was tasked to lead expansion. and And one of the things he he told us was that I, I believe the founders had only been in the UK one time, and so they're not even three, three founders had three been founders. to the UK. Or no, it's actually to all of Europe a grand all total of one time. Oh my gosh. Exactly, and that's an issue if you're expanding, right? How can you communicate sort of the difference of that market to a founding team that doesn't seem to have that curiosity using the word a bit earlier 
about that market, you know, want to learn. And then how can you communicate, okay, we need X amount of resources or this investment is required or these product changes are required. If you don't even understand that there is a difference, you know, between even the UK and the US. And so you're going to, you're going to face a lot of hurdles in that process. And I mean, one thing that's becoming increasingly important because of the business world we're living in is, is speed. And if you don't take the structure we're talking about, and if you don't find partners who have expertise and understand things like Zedra does, then you're going to be slower to the process. You're going to make more mistakes. And, and you know, from what we heard from executives, expanding, especially to those first few markets, is you know, just as, as make or break, just as high risk as initial product market fit. Interesting. And, and, awesome. And, and one of the... Sorry, sorry. No, Do you just go want ahead. us to spitball? We can, we can spitball. A lot no, you guys, this is <laughs> awesome. I think we'll get a lot of really good stuff out of this. Um, but but uh, one of the things that Aaron and I, we emphasize a lot, uh, a lot about is building a brain trust, right? Making sure you actually document the things that you do when you expand in the internationally. So that's why we built resources like the localization premium uh, tool, but also a market into playbook uh, and so forth. So when... For example, you have a team that is expanding the first time into the UK. They document the things that they are doing in terms of changing that business in that market. So you can use that knowledge knowledge as a base for when you go into Germany, to Italy, etc. Obviously, with the with the conscious of you have to build these more as hypotheses, the changes that you made in that market, because you can't expect that you're going to be doing the exact same thing when right. you go into new markets. But document these things because that's going to allow you to be much more rigorous and much more thoughtful when you expand into other markets. So you don't continue to reinvent the wheel, even within your organization. Thanks, Klaus and Aaron, for sharing your insights and your time today with me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us, Brian. Thanks for having us. Uh, always a pleasure uh, working with Cetra, uh, and we look forward to co collaborating with you in the future. So thank you so much.